0: Gracious God, this morning, we're so grateful for your word, for the way that you always have, by the power of your Holy Spirit, new life and new love, new joy, new liberation to bring to us through it, and always by the power of your Holy Spirit. Dear God, this morning, we pray for a fresh restoration of your joy, in our lives. And we pray this through Christ. Amen. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, King David sends General Joab and his soldiers out to attack and to besiege the Ammonites. And I almost said the Mennonites. (laughs) But our dear friend David stays home, stays home in Jerusalem. And then one late afternoon, he goes up, up on a roof, up to his palace rooftop, to watch the sun, the descending sun, begin to paint the city's bleached stonescape with his fiery wash of colors. If you know if you've lived in Jerusalem, you know how that happens. And it's while he's up on a rooftop waiting for this sunset that he suddenly hears the sweet sound of splashing water and singing. And all of this draws him to the edge of his roof. And down below, he suddenly sees a woman bathing in a nearby courtyard. Now here, now here, David could, could simply return to his beautiful sunset, right? Except that he's already noticed that she's especially beautiful. No, she is stunningly Beautiful scripture tells us. And the king immediately sends, notice all the sends in this story, sends one of his attendants to make inquiries. And he soon finds out that she is Bathsheba, wife of Uriah, one of his soldiers who is far away at the front. Now here, David could just say to himself, Uriah sure has a gorgeous wife, and God blessed them very much, right? He could, he should, but he does not. Here in Jerusalem, David is not only the king. He is the commander-in-chief. He is the chief of police. He is the chief of justice. All rolled into one. King David has the absolute power to do absolutely whatever he wants to do. Or at least he thinks he does. And so the king now sends... For his subject and takes her for himself. Friends, follow the power in this story. Follow the power. And when we do, we discover that this is not a story of seduction, it's not a story of adultery between consenting adults, but something far, far worse and far more sinister. And all of it ends with Bathsheba's stunning three-word message to David, I am pregnant. Now here... Notice all the now-hears in this story, dear friends. Now here, David could still confess his sin and begin the long journey of setting things right. But instead, he hatches a sly paternity cover-up. He sends for Uriah to come supposedly to report on the war And then he orders him to go home afterward to Bathsheba before returning to the front. And much to David's dismay now, Uriah sleeps outside King David's gate instead of going home to be with Bathsheba that night. After all, how can he sleep in the arms of his beloved wife when his comrades are now in constant danger from enemies and wild beasts? How can he do that? And so that evening, David turns to plan B. Or maybe it's plan C or D by now. Getting Uriah drunk. That'll do it. But not even wine. Not even wine can get faithful Uriah to go home for a conjugal visit. Now here David could still confess his sin but it's getting a lot a lot more painful isn't it And so he plots murder instead murder He sends Uriah back to the front carrying in his hand his own death warrant what a story a letter ordering the general Joab to place him in the place of greatest danger so that he'll be struck dead by the enemy. And that's exactly what happens. And then after Bathsheba observes her time of mourning the death of her husband, David sends for her a second time And takes her into his harem. It's now that we learn with David. With David. That he does not actually have the absolute power to do absolutely everything he wants to do, does he? In his lust, he has forgotten about God. The one who lovingly and justly reigns over him and over every other human being. And now in our passage that Arlene just read, we learn that Yahweh, God, is greatly grieved and displeased by what David has done. If you had any doubts about Bathsheba, it's cleared up here. God is displeased with what David has done. And so God sends the prophet Nathan on a very, very risky mission to confront the powerful king, God's own hand-picked king. And Nathan tells him this distressing, poignant story about a powerful man who seals his poor neighbor's only lamb. David gets all red in the face. His anger is kindled and he shouts out, This man deserves to die! And then Nathan tells him, You're the man. And he is you. Now here... David could just have Nathan killed, just like Uriah, but he doesn't, he doesn't. Instead, he finally is finally cut to the heart and he confesses to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord because To violate our neighbor is also to violate our God. And now we discover why David is so beloved by God, still so loved by God indeed, as Scripture says, a man after God's own heart. Because in spite of his terrible, terrible sinfulness, assault, conspiracy, murder, David in the end has somehow not lost his spirit of correctability before God. And friends, this is the only time apparently in our whole Bible that a king, when confronted by one of God's prophets, genuinely repents of his sin. Apparently, it only happens once in all of Scripture. Now, we all hear about contemporary versions of David's story almost every day, don't we? Just take out David, insert in the name of a president, of a senator, of a theologian, or even a pastor. And you hardly have to change another detail. How the mighty and powerful continue to fall. But even if we're sitting here and have no kingly power, I believe we still have a great deal to learn from this story because it shows us how One sin has a way of leading to another, spreading like a deadly virus. It shows us how the effort to conceal one sin in our lives can so easily lead to this destructive spiral that separates us from God and from one another. And so this is why the spiritual discipline of confession is so crucial to our spiritual health. It's the antidote. We freely and happily bring our sins to God before they ever have a chance to gain a foothold in our lives. Maybe a a gardening story would be helpful here. You know, in our backyard, we try not very well to stay on top of our weed and thistle challenges. And we try a few times a week to ice snip the unwanted wisteria shoot. <laughs> Sometimes they grow that much in a day. And Danette goes and pulls up the thistly weeds. When we keep at it, it's easy work, right? When we keep at it, it's easy work. But we were away in June for a couple of weeks, and you should have seen our garden. And we had a whole lot of work to do when we got home. In confession, we bring to God our wild shoots and our weeds before they can ever take root in our lives. We freely confess the things that have come between us and God, and we know we can feel it. Something has come between us and our Maker. Something has come between us and our neighbor. And we happily bring our sins into the healing light of God because it is there that they lose their power over us. We confess passing on a devastating morsel of gossip. or cheating on an exam, or downloading someone else's term paper. We confess hearing a racist or homophobic comment and remaining completely silent. We confess taking advantage of the vulnerability of someone else, We confess encountering, engaging a homeless person and being stingy when we could have been generous. And since confession and restoration of relationships always go together, we sometimes may need the help of a trusted friend or a spouse a spiritual mentor or pastor to help us to begin to discern how on earth do we begin to set things right in our circle of relationships. God always works through our circle of relationships. And in my own life, I'm so deeply grateful for all the people who have played that role in my own life over the years. I need that. And one of those people is Marcus Smoker, Who back in seminary sat down and spoke to me about a deep burden. And helped God to set me free. So I don't want you to go home today thinking that This whole focus means that we're all mired or focusing on our sins. But actually that confession is our loving God's way of setting us free. Confession is spiritual liberty. It is accessing the mercy that can heal us. The grace that we need. And as we learn in Psalm 51 today, One of the great gifts of confession is the restoration of joy. The return of joy into our lives. When we are carrying some heavy burden in our hearts, one of the first casualties, what is it? It's the joy of our salvation. Let me close by... Remembering our dear Lord Jesus. The one who is so often called the friend of sinners. Isn't that wonderful? That means I have a prayer. Maybe you do too. The friend of sinners. And what else is he called? The son of David. Interesting. Interesting. The one whose own genealogy in Matthew does not hide that his own descendants run right through Solomon, whose father was David and whose mother was, quote, Matthew chapter 1, his mother was the wife of Uriah. Do you hear that? Solomon's dad is David and his mother is the wife of Uriah. Thanks be to God, our God works in and through the sinful mess of our human story to save and to heal us. That's the good news. And have you ever noticed that Jesus never seems to see a world divided between the good people and the bad people? Jesus seems to see a world divided between those who confess their need for God's grace and those who do not. And he vigorously confronts those who hide their sin. Who are they? Well, they're religious folks like us. And he tenderly welcomes those who come clean. He helps us to see that we can only receive as much grace as we'll admit we need. He helps us to see that we can only receive as much grace as we will admit that we actually need. Remember the story of the anointed woman? Or the woman who anoints Jesus? Forgiven much, she loves much. Friends, the great heroes of the Bible and the great saints of the church were never perfect or sinless people but instead those who freely confessed their sin and joyfully consumed the greatest amounts of grace. The longer they journeyed with God, the more grace they needed, not less. I hope that's me. And let that also be all of us as well. Amen.